0: Hey uh so Here's the thing, uh, I, we've been going through Ephesians chapter four, and uh, I was I was writing a message, and then, you know, where God starts to talk to you, something personal, and so I was off to the side writing something personal, and then I would go do my Ephesians four study because we're supposed to be on verse eight, and we're supposed to keep moving, and then I kept going back to my study, and every time i try to type out stuff about Ephesians or trying to talk about the Deuteronomy 32 worldview that we're talking on Wednesday, uh, as we kind of, all the time I kept trying to write that stuff, uh, I felt like God kept shifting my perspective somewhere else, and, um, you know, you can talk about what you want to talk about, or you can talk about what God is telling you to talk about, uh, however, here's the thing, um, this message that I wrote for today, uh, it's kind of like old school, like, my older messages, like, For sure, there's like an hour worth of content in there, uh, and that's me pulling back. (laughs) And uh, so here's the truth. Uh, We had an amazing testimony. Uh, We had amazing worship. Um, We had a great communion message where we got to really just connect with God and focus in on him. And I don't want to add too much uh, to that. And so all I'm going to do is I'm going to do the introduction to the message that I wrote, and then next week we'll call it part two, and we'll go into the full message, okay? Uh, so, Amelia made us a great graphic, so we can't not show it. Uh, we're going to talk about seeking God. Seeking God. Um. And really, when we're talking about seeking God, there's just there's a character I want to focus on, uh, and it's it's the character that you're supposed to focus on when you look at the Old Testament, David, right? Like that's the character everyone talks about. We're gonna we're gonna go through uh, most people the story that I'm hitting up today. Most people read about this story in Second Samuel, uh, but we're gonna be addressing First Chronicles, which actually gives more details, but it is the exact same story, uh, just written by the priests. Uh, now, uh, for those of you who don't know, but you probably do know because that's the story, uh, right? Like David's got a few standout moments that everyone knows. You don't even got to know Jesus. And you know, these stories, you know, David fighting Goliath, uh, you know, that happened. Uh, many people know the story of David choosing not to kill Saul, uh, but instead just cutting the hem of his robe. Um, many people know these kinds of stories. And I just want to talk for a second and let you know that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, um, God made a law, a law space, right? Uh, God made a law. And uh, in that law, he actually wrote about a coming king. Um, And Israel went through a pretty crazy season. All right, so if you know the Old Testament, it's pretty much just the story of Israel. You just follow the genealogy. It's what happened to them, why they're such a mess, because again, uh, they're pretty messy. It's, just a, it's a faithful history textbook of the history of the Israelite people and all the times that God intervened. Uh, there's also a breakdown of their law, their religion, and their practices. And we know that when Jesus Christ came onto the scene, he fulfilled that law, but he did not abolish that law. That law still shows us the character, nature, thoughts, the important things to God. But then we landed and Jesus Christ says what he says, I love God with all your heart, soul, mind, body and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And as long as you do these things, you can hang all the prophets and you can hang all the laws. You can hang it on the hook that is those two and you will follow God in all that he teaches. Um, So the crazy thing about that is a lot of these Old Testament characters, how they treated the law of God is still how we are to treat the law of God. You know, you'll hear a phrase kind of often where it's like, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. And honestly, I think that's stupid because I think it's both, right? That there are things that God has asked us to be and to do, and there are really our disciplines. But it is ultimately first a relationship between us and a loving God. Um, Because I don't think whatever comes into question is, does God love us? Of course he does. But I think sometimes what can come into question is, but do we love him back? Right. And that's why some messages can get a little legalistic sounding, get a little challenging, get a little pushy, because it's like, of course, I can tell you again that Jesus loves you. But but you know that, you know, he loves you. He's died for you. He bled for you. He was tortured and tormented for you because he loves you. Right. But before Jesus, there was David. And David, uh, David was a mighty man who really followed God. He made mistakes. That's why I love David, uh, because David fell short. He fell apart. He missed the mark. He messed up all the time. And so if the guy who messed up every 10 minutes, God can be like, that's a man after my own heart. It's like, I'm going to be okay. You know what I'm saying? Hallelujah. He didn't even have Jesus. right? So even more so, I'm a man after God's own heart. Uh, But when Israel started to fall into this cycle of sin, right, that you read the book of Judges, that book is gnarly. I think, I think when we think back, it's like, oh, Samson, he was super strong, and it's like, we're going to talk about the prostitutes, uh, yeah. super strong, and he killed a lion, and he ate honey out of its belly, and then there's, you know, we, we, like, we talk about these these characters, Caleb, he's a great man, and then it's like, you just, you hear all these stories, and then we, we don't talk about the last chapter of Judges, where this dude's chick, he cuts her into 12 pieces and sends her to each tribe of Israel. God, right, and you're just like, what is happening right now in this book? And because Israel had gotten so far away from God that these these grotesque actions became commonplace, and they became mundane. And just because Israel was desensitized to sin does not mean that God was not still aware of the sin. And I think for many of us, just because we've come become desensitized to the sin in our own lives does not mean that God is not still aware. He loves us. He's walking with us. But eventually the people of Israel cried out. They said, we want a king like the other nations. Right? And Samuel, who is the judge at the time, gets really upset. Samuel gets upset because he's judge. And basically they don't like his rule and they want someone else to rule. And he goes to God kind of angry. And God says, don't worry, they didn't reject you. They're rejecting me. And so I'll give them the king that they want. And the king that they wanted was a reflection of them. Outwardly looked everything. Everything looked right. But inwardly, he was strictly a political king. He did things just to win the hearts of the people, not because he had a heart for the people. Right. right? And he, 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 he fell short and committed sin after sin after sin, uh, consistently taking for granted the presence of God. Um. And eventually, God kind of gets upset, sends Samuel over to Saul. And he says this, First Samuel 13, 14. He says, but now your kingdom shall not continue. Yeah. It's crazy. This is the kingdom that God gave him. And now your kingdom will not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people Because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. I just, I love the, I love what we're seeing here. He tells him, You can't have the kingdom, you can't be king, because I'm bringing a prince. Right? We're like David, even though he was king, still always put himself below God and recognized himself as simply a prince serving a greater king. Or Saul saw it as his kingdom didn't take God's words into account and did his own thing. And what I wrote right here is, I know God has a heart for us, but do we have a heart for him? Um, It's a question I want us to ask. And again, I know it's kind of like, I'm doing the introduction and the introduction, and then you you lead into all the fun stuff. All the nice stuff is next week, uh, but I still want to make sure uh, that we still discuss and we still maybe contemplate because here's what I think can happen a lot. You can sit in a room with loud worship and you're not worshiping. I think you can open up your Bible, but when you read it, you're not really getting anything out of it you're just reading it I think you can have worship playing in the car and it really truly does not mean that you are worshiping these these consistent things that we we say it's not a religion it's a relationship but no relationship is healthy if the person becomes background noise to you I have seen more marriages fall apart in silent rooms than I have seen them fall apart in loud rooms right not to say that arguing is healthy but typically, the people who don't even care to argue anymore, it's done. Well, we just deal with it. I remember a pastor in the city, and we were talking, he's, a, he's a, of Latin descent, and he was talking about how um, his mom and dad split. And he said, it's it's a culture thing because they they pretty much knew they wanted to divorce when I was three years old. Uh, But in their culture, you stay together for the kids. And so the second the youngest brother turned 18, he left and they divorced, (laughs) you know. And it's like this concept of they just they just dealt with each other. It was done and they were just dealing with each other until the final moment. And and, and again, it's a sign of unhealthy. Mm -hmm. Right. Where I can I know I'm in the car and I kind of talk to God when I'm upset, but I'm, I'm not really praying. God wants a relationship with you. And he's calling for men and women to be a men and women after his own heart. But what I love is, is because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. But later when God says, he calls David, and he says, this is a man after my own heart. He says, for he follows my commands. Yeah. And that having a heart for God is directly correlated with our willingness to obey him. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ, literally, Jesus, right? New Testament dies on the cross. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. He never, the definition of love never really changed, right? And I think for many people, and especially in our culture, why, why is America in the shape that it's in? I think it's because the church doesn't look different than the world because Jesus' is background noise. Like, what does it mean to be saved, right? It, it doesn't mean, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Like, like there's, there's, a, there's a change that happens in our lives what I think is really crazy is that with David, when God set over David and David became anointed to become king, you are a man after my own heart and you will inherit the kingdom. David didn't inherit anything for 15 years. 15 years of being faithful to a God who on outward, outwardly appeared to not be being faithful in return. Uh, David had a healthier perspective than that. But I think for many people, God told me, and it didn't happen tomorrow, so where is God? How often I'll have conversations as a pastor when I'm ministering with people or talking to them, where they say, why did God let blank happen to me? And, like, 99 times out of 100, it's like, you did that. <laughs> you know? Like, you, like make, pushing God to the back and making him background noise for so long, eventually one day you stopped looking to him. And something I ask people very often is, do, "Do you remember when God used to wake you up in the middle of the night to pray?" And for many people, I ask the question, "When's the last time He did that?" And I think a lot of people go, "It's actually been a while." Well, maybe you rolled over so many times that you've desensitized yourself to the tap on the shoulder, right? Because look, we we exist here on Earth to serve Him, and and. and the, the thing that's always blown my mind and made me upset, look, we sang two Leland songs and I'm pretty sure a Bethel song today, right? Yeah. Right? And so it's like I'm not against Bethel. I'm not against Hillsong. I'm not against Elevation Worship. I'm not against it. We sing them in the church. And if I was against it, we wouldn't sing them in the church. But their top-selling songs of all these companies is consistently songs that are self-serving, right? It's about who I am. It's not about who he is. And so if we call it worship, but we sing about ourselves, who are we worshiping? Just because the church wrote the song, Are You Worshiping God? Right? And it's like, it's so important that we don't make this relationship between me and Jesus, we don't make it about us. He made it about us, and we make it about him, and it becomes this healthy thing. But the Bible isn't about us. The Bible is about Jesus. And so the men and women of God who are the most impactful, the men and women of God who the Bible highlights as like, these are the dudes, all of them, put God first. When they worshiped, they worshiped him. They understood who he was. They weren't seeking their own adoration or their own buildup. They were seeking a God to glorify. And so often when mantles are taken from people, it's because they were self-serving. And so when you see Saul getting his kingship taken, it's like you didn't—you didn't follow my commands. And uh, I'm gonna bleed into my first point, and I'll just wrap up with it, so it can be a little bit more positive as we close out. Um, look, this is—I want to ask a challenging question, and that is: It do do you do you love God? That's my—that's my question, like. That's, let, let that be the nugget of today. When I leave, what am I meditating on? Meditating on the question, God, do I really love you? And, and, I'm not, and I'm not asking you to meditate on this sense of like, wow, I suck. I hate myself. And not letting this become the excuse to walk away from Jesus or walk away from church because it's challenging and I don't like being challenged. But to actually look, and if you come to the honest conclusion, I don't live a life that means I love you, flip it. Because he's already there with arms wide open. He's not the problem in the scenario. Yeah. He's there and he's present and he's engaged and he loves you. That's not, that's not what I'm asking. Because again, the question of today isn't, does God have a heart for you? The answer is a resounding yes. He sent his son to die for you. And I've said this time and time again. My son is turning three years old and already I like him more than all of you except my wife. All of you. Every single one of you, and it's not even close. It's not even close. <laughs> Titus Zane Henry and Isla Grace Henry. They, like, if, if someone had a gun to their head and a gun to yours, had a, fine, Pastor Thomas had a gun to Pastor Thomas's head and says, Choose your son or Thomas. I would look Thomas in the eyes and say, To live is Christ and to die is gain. And I would let him gain something unto the Lord that day because I have a clear preference, <laughs> and I receive it. Um, <laughs> but, 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 it's it's a joke, but it's also true, right? It's like not a competition; like it's a knee-jerk thing. You just, I know in my gut, like if something were going to happen, if I was holding two people over a cliff, one of them my son, I just let go so I can better protect my own child. Like, don't, if, don't end up in a situation with me, that's what I'm saying, because I'm going to pick <laughs> Titus, right? <laughs> in the words of Maxwell, the internet meme that he's stolen, uh, don't put me in a situation, right? Because Titus will win 1,000% of the time. But, but God chose you because the level of love is so resounding and above the top. So, again, I'm not asking, does God love you? His arms are wide open. If you come to the conclusion, God, I do not love you, he'll say, awesome, come on in. And as David cried out, which I think is one of his big secrets, he cried out, teach me your ways, O oh God. Sometimes I don't think you know how to love God because I don't know how to love him. It's like, God, I teach me. I, I don't know. I don't know how to glorify you. I think mostly when we're seeking to glorify God, it's mostly just about being aware of him. Not letting this world become so distracting that you lose your awareness of God. Because someone who's aware of God, God will speak to you. Honestly, I would say he, he speaks almost every second of every day, it seems like. Anytime I look up to him, my gaze looks up to him, I feel confident. I feel okay. I feel comfortable. David did something very interesting. Uh, in First Chronicles 13... And like I said, we're going to end on like the halfway point of my, my first point because like already that point goes real bad real quick. Because uh, we're going to read a story and it sounds really nice and like the next verse someone dies. So we'll deal with that next week. You know what I'm saying? Uzzah's going down next week for the record. But this week is not about Uzzah. <laughs> or is it Uzziah? It's Uzzah. Yeah, I had it right the first time. So I get for doubting myself. First Chronicles 13. Uh, and we're going to read three to four. Ready? It says, this is David now. David became king. And after David becomes king, there's a lot of fighting. Right? Uh, but you'll notice both in 1 Chronicles and in 2 Samuel, which in those two books, those are where David becomes king. In those two books. It's, just, it's like the Gospels, four stories, different perspectives. Uh, the king books are probably written from a prophetic or like, skull, like a more of a scholar perspective where like the Chronicles were probably written by the priests. Right? That's right. It's just priestly versus regular person perspective. But in both of those stories, this story that I'm about to read comes up very early because this is one of the first things David did as king, right? Literally, he gets his kingdom, and he has to fight a bunch of wars. (laughs) He has to fight because the transition of power was an incredibly bloody one Uh, because men and women, when God removes things from them, instead of submitting to him, they fight him. But he says, David, when, he's front, when things have finally settled out, he looks up and looks around and he makes a proclamation to the people. And he says, then let us again, let us bring again the ark of our God to us. Let's pause. What is the ark? It represents the presence of God amongst the people. That holy of holy, that holy cloud. like it, They literally, they pictured God actually sitting like a throne on that spot. When, when Jesus Christ resurrects and they come in and there's two angels kind of on the side of the tomb, it's supposed to be a picture of this, right? It's like, like the presence, right? So Saul, for his entire run as king, <laughs> didn't have the presence of God in the midst of the people. Because it wasn't about God. It was about his own kingdom. And here's how you can tell when it's about you or your own, your own kingdom. If it's about you, any other God must be slayed. Right? And so that's why people say the worship of self is idolatry. Because in order to really do things your way, you have to kill Yahweh in your life. You have to kill his plans, his his his. His law, you have to kill that in your life. You have to stop reading the word. You have to stop praying. You have to stop focusing on God. You have to completely alienate him in order to accurately walk away from God. You have to slay any other God in your midst. Um, it's like, I don't know if you've ever read the, the, the Satanist Bible. Uh, don't. You know what I'm saying? Don't but I have, right, and one of the standout kind of, one of the main lessons is pretty much, unless you're doing something terrible to someone else, just do what seems right to you, that's like the main commandment, right, I had a buddy named Pepper in high school, and whenever, whenever something would happen, and he wanted to do something terrible, he was an actual Satanist, dude would look at me, and he'd quote the Satanist Bible, and go do something he wanted to do, he loved quoting out of that book, when he was about to steal something from a store, right, uh, right, it's, it's funny but it's not you know what i'm saying it's a lot funnier when you're high but then you find jesus and you gotta you gotta stop because a new god's coming in um but he used to quote from it because basically the point of that book is just serve yourself and it's like if you look at when satan went to eve in the garden he had no interest in her worshiping he doesn't satan's not looking to be worshiped i've heard someone say that satan wants the worship that god has i've never seen that in scripture right he said it to jesus Because he was bringing another God under him, he was attempting to, right? It's like, really, with scripture, it's like, do what you want. Just just do what you want. Um, But it says, let us bring again the ark of God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. All the assembly agreed to do so, for this thing was right in the eyes of the people. We're going to stop here. Because the next thing that's going to happen is things are going to go buck wild and crazy, and we'll leave it in the buck wild and crazy land. Um, but it's like we often will compare David and Saul. I hear it all the time, and it's because you're supposed to compare them. The characters are written in the Bible to be compared, similar to how when you see like Jesus or sorry, Peter and Judas. Like they're written to be compared a lot of times, right? There's characters in the Bible, like you see that the rich young ruler then the very next chapter is the You're supposed to compare these characters. They're meant to be compared. You need the full story. It's why sometimes reading one chapter at a time, you might miss deeper concepts. Because between two chapters could, could actually be, you're supposed to compare the two chapters together, right? Uh, and so Saul and David are meant to be compared. And one king removed the presence of God from the people. And one king, the first thing he did was demand the presence of God. And one king is remembered as one of the greatest kings in scripture. You know, the Bible doesn't even say that the greatest king was David. But we think of him as the greatest king. Right? Because he had a heart after God. And and so I guess the concluding point would be what showed that he had a heart for God was that he followed God's commands and he was zealous for the presence of God. You know, you're looking back across the Old Testament and it's like, you know, people know the story of Moses really well. I watched The Prince of Egypt with my son. It's not the most accurate, but it's, it's a good time. And the music, in those, the music in those movies is fire, for the record. Great music. Uh, it's better than the Noah movie that came out with, with Russell Crowe. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, or, or Exodus, right? That movie was trash. At least, like, The Prince of Egypt had the heart of it there. Um, but you look back, and everyone knows the story of Moses. But when Moses died... God put Joshua in his place. It's like, why did God pick Joshua? Right? Well, the Bible says that when Moses and Joshua were in the pre- the tent of prayer, the- in the presence, the Bible says that God would speak to Moses. Moses would stand up and run to speak to the people. And it said, yet the boy Joshua remained right and it's because this concept of when God was looking for his next person in charge the next person he was going to to put and thrust into a position of anointing he didn't look across the world he looked in the secret place right you see that with Isaiah the same kind of concept when Isaiah gets sent it says God is looking across the earth and he says to and fro and then Isaiah looks up and goes here I am God send me he was the only person there. No one else was in the place of prayer. Only one person was positioned to even hear and respond to God. And so that only that person was given an opportunity. That person got to experience aspects of the new covenant early. The Bible says that when he saw God, he panicked. He said, I am undone, for I am a man with unclean lips. And so an angel put the coals underneath God's, Thrown onto his lips and said, you've been purified. How'd that happen? He was just praying. Samuel, the final judge, the the guy who anointed David as king, he fell asleep in the tabernacle, and he woke up to God calling. So why did God pick Samuel? Because he was the only one there, (laughs) right? It's a consistent concept, if you look throughout Scripture, that God is big on, like, You're here, and so I'm going to do great things with you, right? But these people had an unnatural heart for God. And they say that whenever revival breaks out in a city, it doesn't break out because the worship is good and because the preaching is fire. The two things you see consistently when revival breaks out, you look at the Azusa Street revivals, you look at the Welsh revivals, you look at all these crazy revivals, you look at the Jesus people, whether you liked what they did or not, and some of the stuff they taught, I think is a little creepy, right? And I don't see it in the Bible, but God was clearly moving because he wasn't looking for perfect theology. There are two things you see in these revivals. One is a deep love for prayer and worship, and two, you see a a, a desire for holiness. Holiness in the people. Those are the two things you see. Those are the only const- constants to revival. So it has nothing to do with how well I preach. It has everything to do with how well we pray. Right? That whole king section where God is going to destroy Israel. And he says, if my people will humble themselves and pray, then they will hear from heaven. And I will hear the- heal their lands. Directly tying it to prayer. But look at Jesus. He teaches how to pray. It says, Father in heaven, which actually I love that phrase because it's like, you know, I'm a bit more theological than Fluffy, but that word for Father in the uh, the Lord's Prayer is actually is actually Abba, is actually Daddy. So when 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 Jesus Christ taught his disciples to pray, he said, see him not as this Father, he said, see him as your Abba, right? And it's just like this constant thing. The, how often the Bible said. Jesus got up in an early hour and he prayed. And Jesus, on his last night, he went to pray and he looks to his disciples and said, could you not tarry with me? He was asking them to be with him in the place of prayer. And I think he's still asking us that today. Can you tarry with him? Right. I promise next week. It's like this is <laughs> this is going to be an introduction that I drag out for an extra 10 minutes for the podcast. Hallelujah. I'm just kidding. Uh, but. um, I know that God loves you, Uh, but do you love God? I will close with a verse that's not even in my sermon. Thank God and hallelujah. And this right here is 100% um, plagiarism. Uh, Last Wednesday, uh, Pastor Dodgel came and spoke to the men. Probably one of the most fiery messages I have heard in a long time. I felt like I had license to yell at people. I'm just kidding. Uh, But it was very good. And the the point of the message, he just had a heart attack. You know that. We've been praying about that. And today's his first time preaching back at church again, which is cool. But I've been saying this because it's such a huge honor. Pastor Dodgel had a heart attack, and his first time coming back and preaching wasn't even at his own church. It was at ours. Because he has a heart for us, and I don't take that lightly. That meant the world to me. And he got up, and, and the first thing he said to us, he told the story of his heart attack, and just said it changed his whole perspective. And he said, and ever since my heart attack, I've been stuck on one verse. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord for all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So the one thing he asked for is to be in the presence of God, which I find to be a very stark contrast to there are other things you can ask for from God that are positive and good things. But I do believe if you look in the Bible consistently through Scripture, the place of prayer is the number one thing to ask for. David's son, and actually David wrote this psalm, David's son, God came to him and said, ask me for anything, right? And David's son asked for wisdom. And God said, you could have asked for riches, but you asked for wisdom. So I will give you wisdom and riches. And so whenever people, they talk about that, they say, if you could ask God for one thing, what would it be? And everyone says wisdom. But here's the thing. The guy who asked for wisdom fell away from God at the end of his life. But the guy who asked to be in the presence stayed in the presence. And so I think if we're just looking at how people's lives ended, it seems to me that it is better to ask to dwell with God. So good. I want you. Psalm 27. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after. I asked, but listen, I love that. And I'm just going to break down his verse really quick. He didn't just ask for it. He sought it. It's like, God, I want this. <laughs> Whether you're giving it to me or not, I'm going to find it, <laughs> right? Like, hallelujah. Um, I have asked, but I'm also seeking. Listen, there is a distinction. You know how many people have I pray to God and God hasn't done anything? It's like, are you seeking it? You know, I, I asked God to handle the situation. He hasn't handled it yet. Did you keep seeking it? Anyway, uh, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. So what is he asking and seeking for? He's asking to dwell. He's asking to gaze. And he's asking to inquire. Dwell means that we are in the same place. Gaze means I am looking upon you. Read your Bible. And inquire actually means David will ask God for the right to ask him questions and to receive answers. Whereas proverb says it is honor it is the honor of God to conceal a matter and it is the honor of a king to seek it out yeah. amen god wants you seeking he wants you knocking jesus christ literally says knocking keep knocking yeah. the, the fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much like these are these are new testament verses the bible says uh, so the bible says pray without ceasing yeah. first thessalonians right it's like when you see scripture, Peter, Peter gets whipped and he gets flogged and he gets put in jail. And the Bible says an angel came and smote his side. It's one of my favorite verses of scripture. I never want to be smoted on the side. I don't, I don't really fully know what that means. I think it just he just kicked him. But like the word smote, it's like so much, it's like, he got smoted. Uh, and dude gets up and he runs out. And when he runs out, he goes to find the people to tell the story. And they're all in one place and they're praying. Right. When Jesus Christ was here on earth, he saved and brought the gospel to more than 120 people, but only 120 people got tongues of fire put upon them. Why? Because only 120 people were praying in the upper room. Right. Consistently. I heard a pastor recently preach that he's so tired of church folk because when people ask for answers, he goes, and pastors have the nerve to say pray. And he goes, we got to give them more answers. And it's like, it's the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life because the Bible says to keep praying. Because I don't want you to learn how to ask me questions. I want you all to learn how to find God yourself because God is answering. First John, Second John, and Third John. John says you should be teachers by now. You have known God long enough. God teaches us. That's not an excuse to ignore leadership and ignore church and to not get involved in things, but it is an excuse to understand that it's God who teaches. David wrote Psalm 119, and in Psalm 119, he literally says, I am more wise than my teacher, for I have kept the law. But even David said, I became more wise than my leaders. I became more wise than all of my counselors, because when they talked about it, I lived it. And living is always greater understanding and knowledge than just talking about it. Amen. You got to know your word or you can't live to it. But in the living to it, you know God in a way that all those people who shy away from reading their Bible because they got to pray all day. Amen. Amen. Dear Lord in heaven, uh, thank you for putting that together. Uh, Lord, I just pray for next week that we would be um, encouraged as we spend this week asking a question. God, do I love you? Or at the very least, God, teach me to love you more. And God, I pray that every person in this room, upon their heart right now, will be the desire to seek you and to know you more. This is not some kind of trial. It is not an admonishment. It is not a beatdown. But it is just a reminder that we can actually go deeper in you. We can actually see what it means to have true love and true peace and true patience and true joy. In the name of Jesus, I say amen. Sorry, I have to say one more thing. I thought of while I was praying. Um, when when people walk away from the church because um, deconstructing is getting really popular, um, it's getting really big on TikTok of people like share your thing. There's like a song right now that's playing, and so people are sharing their story about why they walked away from God. And for the record, some of them are terrible. It's like I asked my pastor this question, he didn't have an answer, and it's like that's it. <laughs> you had already left Jesus. Uh, you were just looking for an excuse. Uh, but uh, when I'm looking at all those stories, I, some guy said something and it really stood out to me. He said, have you ever noticed that when people talk about walking away from God, inevitably in the comment section, people will say, well, you probably didn't walk away from God. You never knew him in the first place. And people's response will be things like, no, I prayed every day. I preached the gospel. I read the word. I attended church. And he's like, notice that they never say, I, I grew in love more and I grew in joy more, and I grew in in peace more. It's like, so what you saw was evidence of their discipline, but you didn't see evidence of their conversion, right? And so it's, again, there are aspects of seeking God that no pastor, no teacher, no minister can teach you because the Holy Spirit fills you, and he changes us from the inside out. He does. He takes out the heart of stone, and he puts in a heart of flesh. And so when you're seeking God, don't seek to be the smartest person in the room, and don't seek a platform. Say, God, teach me to love like you love. And watch the evidence of your life change. The Bible, Jesus Christ said, they will know you by your fruit. And fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So they will know you by your self-control. And they will know you by your patience. And they will know you by the peace you have when it doesn't make sense. Whenever storms hit, I don't have peace. I know you need the Holy Spirit, and you're not going to him. You're talking to him. You're getting angry, but you're not just sitting in his presence. So go do it. Literally, the door is open. You don't even got to bust it open. God's like, hallelujah. The, The veil split from top to bottom, right? God did his part. Veil's open. He lives inside of you. Let's go. If you're in this room and you don't feel that he lives inside of you, come grab me today. I would love to pray with you. I would love to walk you through salvation. I would love you to see what it means to be baptized by the Holy Spirit. You don't got to speak in tongues, but if you do, it's okay. Uh, Right? Like, I, I would love to walk you through that because Jesus Christ is real. He is here and he is present. And he is calling a people and he is changing a people. And these people don't need to fake it. God will just bring the fullness of his character. Amen? I love you guys. And I will actually preach the part two next week. But Amelia, you don't need to put part two on the bottom. We'll just keep the same graphic. Hallelujah. I love you guys. Have a blessed week.